This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. We have Eric Levine from Two Cops, One Donut, and I will also be on his podcast as well. Yep, <laughs> that is correct, sir. <laughs> all right, so but uh-huh. let me start off with saying all of your interviews, I see you have two mics in the back, and last yeah. time we spoke, you said all of your interviews have all been in person. Yes, my interviews that I give, yes, they've all been in studio, but I have done, like we're doing now, other people's podcasts or Zooms or whatever and uh, done the remote thing through them. Because I don't have the ability, I don't have a Zoom account, I don't have a StreamYard account that requires you to pay like an annual fee to record longer than an hour or whatever the parameter is. So yeah, I do most of them here in-house. <laughs> so what I do is I just, as soon as the recording's done, I take it right off of the cloud and I upload it to my Google account, which I do pay for both of those. Yeah. And, uh, and you edit your own podcast too, right? Oh yeah, I do everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I pay uh, about 50 bucks an episode. I'm sure I could probably do a lot better. I could probably get it down to like $10 an episode. You know, I just got to invest some time in looking into some virtual assistants, you know, from overseas. Yeah. The way I want things on mine, I can't afford to pay to have someone else to do it. I had a vision in my head and, you know, I'm using one, two, three, four, five, soon to be six cameras. Wow. Yeah. So, and the only reason I use that many is because I have had times where the cameras failed. You know, they're all iPhones or iPads, but you'll hit record and something happened. And I, computer gods, I don't know what it is, but they decided to stop recording on one. And so you'll see a couple of my episodes where you're like, man, he just keeps going between these two camera angles instead of the normal three. Well, the reason being is because one of the cameras gave out. So I always have a backup. So, so did you post up your interviews to YouTube immediately? Like as soon as you started doing your podcast? I did. Yep. I did. I, that, was, I, that was smart. I completely, completely took Joe Rogan's <laughs> idea as far as the way it's set up because it's my favorite podcast. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the way that I like it. And I like the, you know, you see a camera angle on your guest, a camera angle on you and the wide angle. So that's how I roll. Yeah, I started podcasting because of Joe Rogan's podcast also, but it really was born as soon as he got his deal. I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, so I I had planned on doing one, I would say a year earlier. Mm -hmm. A year earlier, I had the idea. I'm like, I could definitely interview people and just listen to people's stories. And I had the idea, but then I think I got like too much in my own head about perfectionism and like yeah. what and what it was going to be about. And I wasn't really clear like who I was going to talk to. And then I started getting some more clarity. I started getting some, uh, I actually purchased some programs, some courses, you know, podcasting. So oh, okay. I, yeah, I learned, I learned a lot and I definitely modeled after Joe Rogan, but also there's these other guys named Earn Your Leisure. I don't okay. know if you ever heard of those guys. Um, I, heard I, of them. I saw them go from like, from their very first few subscribers to like blowing up to, you know, over hundred K subscribers. I still don't have my YouTube channel up yet. I have like just the intro and um, I'm just going to start posting the raw videos, you know, like, okay. Yeah. For me, speed is more important than perfection now. You know, I like, gotcha. I, like, and also I, I use it as like, this is where I was and this is, you know, like, yeah, 
Like I always look at things and I'm like, I know I can make it better. I, yeah, I make small improvements each time. Yeah, you know? I, I picked up on Rogan real early because when I started in jujitsu, it was a 10th planet school. So I knew of Joe through that before I ever knew him on anything else. I mean, later on, I figured out, oh, that's the fear factor guy. I didn't put two and two together, but yeah. So I picked up on him through jujitsu and then started listening to his podcast. I was in a podcasting early. And then, uh, yeah, I went, went to his show like, I just always liked it. I always liked his perspective on things the way he's like, literally you're listening to, it's like you're in the room with a bunch of friends having a conversation and you just like, you want to participate? You know what yeah, I mean? And, yeah. and yep. I thought, oh shit, I can talk to people. So that'd be easy for me. So that was an idea, but it, the idea hadn't been formed on what I wanted to do until I did my master's program. And that's where I came up with this idea. So what did you get your degree in? Criminology and criminal justice. It's a dual major out of TCU, Texas Christian University. I got my associates in criminal justice also. So we have that in common also. So you mentioned jujitsu. So my, you know, my ears perked up. I trained for seven years and then I stopped training because of injuries. And uh, I just felt like I was aging too fast, too mm -hmm. young. But uh, the reason why I started training in the first place was Hoist Gracie. And I got uh, photos of me rolling with him. He was teaching the heel hook. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From way back in the day, he was doing a seminar here in New York. And okay. uh so the reason why I started training was because of the UFC 1993. I've been a fan since 1993, since the very first one, when it was style against style, no yep. hard, no rules, yeah. <laughs> blood sport. You know, I've been a fan of martial arts my entire life. Jean-Claude Van Damme, blood yep. sport. I was going to say that UFC back then was the real first Kumite that we've ever got to see. Yes. You think of blood sport. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. It was based off of blood sport and it was yep. so, it was so freaking cool. You know, the sumo guy, yeah. six, yeah. 600 pounds versus, versus Keith Hackney, who yep. was just like smacking the shit out of his face, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, had to, he, he had to like jump up to reach his face. Yeah. And then you had the one dude that wore one boxing glove yep. and a free hand and yep, yep, yep. wrestling shoes. So. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was a circus show back then, you know, and it, it's definitely more of a sport now today. And, you know, I'm a huge fan. I love the evolution of the sport, but uh, that is the reason why I started training jujitsu because of Hoist Gracie, you know, yeah. at the time I was doing Kempo karate mm -hmm. and uh, I always hated katas, you know, I always, yeah. you know, what katas are. Yeah. 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 I always hated the forms. I felt like it was a waste of my time. And I'm like, I understand the purpose of them. I'm like, but this isn't giving me what I need, you know? And then right. once I started rolling, I just fell in love with it. Yeah. You know, it's a different type of kata you do too. Flow drills, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I love, I love flow drills. Like yeah, flow drills are the modified kata, in my opinion. But they actually, they're um, are extremely useful. Uh, yeah, applicable <laughs> to what you do, and not, you know, some fantasy you have made up in your head where you're fighting five guys at once. And because <laughs> yeah. I did Shotokan as a, as a kid, and my dad's a nationally ranked um, judo black belt. So he always told me, he's like, "Listen, I know you're up in Michigan, and the martial arts studios aren't." nearly as available as Aaron South. And um, he lived down in Texas. And he's like, if you find judo, that's great. Take judo. It's nice. But if you can find this stuff called jujitsu, and we're talking back in the day, take it. Well, it was never available for me at a younger age. I had to join the military. And of all places, I found a 10th planet spot in Montana. Wow. Uh, they had a, what they call a hot box, <laughs> if you know anything about 10th planet. So... And uh, yeah, I had just started learning rubber guard and all that stuff. And uh, that's what gave me the bug and did it for two, three years in Montana and then went to Michigan and it was in Michigan finally and then came down to Texas and got to my purple belt. But you know how it is as a cop. It's like consistency is hard because we get hurt, not just at work. <laughs> we get hurt. Rolling. Yep. 
working out. We got her rolling. Uh, and you have to tell guys, you have to tell guys like, listen, I got to make it to work. You can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't go hundred percent. And some people just don't have that off switch. And you know, you know, those guys yeah. like, I'm not going to, and also you don't want to let your ego get in there, but also, yeah. you know, you don't want to be a pussy for lack of better words. And be yeah, right. like, I, I, I got over it quick. The ego part, if I'm rolling with somebody I, I trust a lot to go higher speeds, then that's different because we're just messing with each other. But the ones that I can tell are, they're not in it to learn, they're in it to win. And yes. I'm not in it to win. I'm in it to just learn. And I'm not learning. It's like playing golf. The only play, the person I'm playing against is myself. So... And the only time when it's life or death is when you're at work and yeah. you're on the street and God forbid you're in that situation, then you know you're in it to win at all costs and you're yeah. going home to your family and that's all that matters. When you do jujitsu long enough, this is what I tell officers, it becomes comical, the stuff that bad guys try to do to you. I'm on body cam several times laughing, giggling. Like, what are you doing, guy? Like, <laughs> swinging for the fences. You know, I got him wrapped up. I'm in a tucked position, in a seatbelt position on his back. We're standing. I'm about to take him down. I'm like, dude, you've got nothing. Like, and you're just, you're talking to them and it just frustrates them even more because for them, it's fight or flight and they're in that fight and they're all amped up. I don't get amped up. Now, if it's multiple opponents, yeah, that's a different up. story. That's yeah. different. But one on one, and I know I'm going into a grappling situation. Once I've got a hold of you, you're done. For 99 you know, of the people out there, I felt the same way after training for I would say four or five years, just rolling with guys that were like, you know, white belts. I rolled with a 300 pound guy, and I'm only, you know, at the time I'm down in weight now, but at the time I was like 160 pounds, and you know, I held my own. Got on their back sometimes. You know, outlasted them because they were fat. You yeah, know, and, yeah, you get winded. And, they get winded and I've been on their backs before. And that gave me the confidence in the street that I was like, I really felt like there was no one I was going to come across that would really give me, you know, like, I know that weight matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? As a police officer, if I can get distance safely right. to transition to something else, then I'll do that. Cause I'm not standing and squaring up with anybody. Right. But right. Distance, dist distance first. Yes. And then if you can't get distance, then, you know, yes. you do what you got to do. Typically I stand so close to people because I'm more comfortable, but that's more of a known for me. If I'm super close and you start moving, I'm already wrapping you up. And usually it's around your waist, which is where I've already assessed your hands. Those are empty. So if I can get my hands around your waist, you're not accessing anything. So, and then after that, you know how it is. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah. you're screwed. I'm going to get that Marcelo Garcia approach. I'm going to take the back. <laughs> my favorite yeah. position, one of, I should say one of my top three favorite positions, especially for law enforcement is the gift wrap position where you have, you have their hand like this and you're, you're holding yeah. oh, face down or face up. Just you yeah. have their hand, you have their wrist and yep. they're in that position. Oh yeah. You know, I love the gift wrap. Um, I'm a neon belly guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause that's a, that's just, you know, they think that they, they're just pinned to the ground and you know, as well as I do, like all I'm wanting you to do is try to move my knee. Because as soon as you go, yeah. then then I've got you wrapped up and I'm gonna get you. But I like the neon belly because you can still keep your eyes up, look around, assess what's going on around you. Meanwhile, they're so uncomfortable, they can't reach for anything because they're so concerned about their, you know, diaphragm. Human chess. Uh, you play chess at all? I play a version of chess. <laughs> it's not chess. I used to play chess as a kid. Um, but I play a game called Clash Royale. <laughs> okay. Okay. The way I look at it is it's just a new version of chess. It's like an interactive chess match. So Clash Royale, I'll look it up. I've been playing this game for years now. It's called uh, Dawn of Titans. Okay. And it's a silly game, but I've just been playing it for years. It's amazing how many poker players play chess and how many chess players do jujitsu and how many, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing how the worlds, you know, yeah. Co coincide. Yeah. When I was in Montana, they had gambling in the bars. So uh, a lot of them had 
Excellent. And uh, I started playing with a friend. We'd go play what's called free rolls. So you, as long as you were one of the first 10 or 11 people, I think it was, you got a seat at this table. You played for a half hour and you got $50 worth of chips for free. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, the it's winner take all. And they, I mean, they move the Annie's up so damn quick. Like somebody's getting all those chips by the end. I got so damn good. I ended up earning a spot. It was a spot in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, it was a spot in Vegas. It was to go qualify. So yep. it would have been a free trip to go qualify. Yep. And uh, I was military, so I wasn't allowed to in the first place. And um, so I passed it up. But it was just cool to know that I had gotten so good, at least in that small town that I was kicking butt. I went home for a family reunion and I got a big Italian family on one side and it is that everybody plays cards down at the, in the basement. Right. So it's up in Michigan, in Flint, everybody's playing cards in the basement. And the way we play in the family is dealer's pleasure. He gets to call the game. Well, we probably have 15 people at the table and I keep, every time it comes to me, hold them, hold them. And they're like, what the hell? Why do you keep picking hold them? And I'm kicking their ass. Like moderately, I'm not taking all their cash or anything. Right. I mean, well, I started shit talking some older uncles and stuff at the table. And I'm like, you know, come on, pussy, why don't you do some hold'em? I was like, I thought you're good at this stuff. And, you know, I started talking shit. And they're like, all right, you little bastard, you think because you're in the Air Force, you're all tough and shit. And I'm like, all right, fuck around and find out. And so, you know, <laughs> I left Michigan. I had bought me a brand new pea coat and had money left over to I took all of their money. Oh my All God, that's you're terrible. <laughs> oh, it was a lesson learned for them that, that I kept telling them. They're like, it's just, you can be okay at, po- at poker, but they didn't realize how much strategy is involved in that game. And I would call the game, like I'd pick it and I just knew I had a garbage hand and I didn't have anything to bluff on. So I, I let it go around and I fold. And they're like, you didn't even play your own game. I'm like, you'll see, you'll see motherfucker. <laughs> so yeah, messed my family up in that game, man. They won't, to this day, I'm not allowed to play cards with them. Where'd you grow up? Flint, Flint, Michigan. Yep. Don't drink the water. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I know about Flint, Michigan. What is that whole water thing? What is that about? Okay, I'll give you the the short version of that. Basically, city council was trying to go cheap and put some more money in their pockets. So they decided to change the water supply from Detroit River to Flint, which would be fine normally. However, you have to have a geological survey done of some sort. And they came back and said, you can't do this Flint water. It's too acidic for the pipes. It will eat away at the lead line that's in these pipes, meaning it's going to erode the pipes to the lead level. So they found another geologist that will do what they want them to do. So they get that geologist. And I'm not an expert in this, by the way, but this is what I understand. Get another geologist that will sign off on what they want. And uh, so now they change the water supply. They're lined in their pockets with a little bit more money. Well, that has to be approved by the governor. And we had a new Republican governor, which is rare in Michigan. That doesn't happen. So all of a sudden, the water crisis happens. People find out like their water's turning different colors. Investigation goes on. Ultimately, they blame the governor because he signed off. Like he is the assigning authority of switching the water supply, which you know how that is. Like it's your city. You guys did the legwork. Okay, I can't micromanage all this stuff that is a governor. So I'm sure he just signed off on it. Well, they blamed him and then they did an investigation on the city council and, uh, you know, they're in jail. So, yeah. So now all of the Flint pipes were eroded down. They finally got the pipes fixed. However, Flint told the citizens the pipe that leads from their house to the roadway, that's their responsibility. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. So there's still a lot of people with crappy water. Yeah. Yeah. Flint is a, it's like a nuclear bomb went off there and it just keeps eroding away. And then you left when you joined the Air Force? Yeah. 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 I left in 06. 
how many years did you put in the Air Force? Uh, I did four years active duty, so 06, 2010. Uh, I separated for a brief time, so technically I'm a veteran. And then uh, I got back in to the reserves. So now I'm uh, a reservist. Nice. Thank you for doing that. Hey, you're worth it, sir. <laughs> when, uh, when my kids were getting older, the two branches I wanted them to do was the Navy and the Air Force. Because um, yep. yeah, yeah, I didn't want them to be a Marine or in the Army. Air Force is definitely the best of all of them, in my opinion. And the only reason I say that is because I did my homework before getting in. You know, I was 22, 23 when I got in. So you were a little bit older. Yeah, I was a little older. And uh, I have family in all the branches. And what do all the branches say? I wish I would have went Air Force. And so <laughs> I asked them why, and I did my homework, you know, and looked into it myself and saw that they just, they get more money. They get more educational opportunities. You know, they're not the front line. They don't have it's a little bit more white collar. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, you walk into the office and it's not too big of a surprise to hear somebody say, hey, Frank, oh, what's up, Bob? And, you know, there's one's enlisted, one's an officer, <laughs> which that doesn't happen in the Marines and the Army. And it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with them. But if you could get into the Air Force, why not do it? And it, it depends on what your motivations are, too. I mean, if you're out looking for adventure and become a warrior and stuff, you know, go Marines, go Army. <laughs> you can still do that in the Air Force, too. Be a PJ. They're like the Navy SEALs of the uh, Air Force. Yeah. So, so then you got out and then you joined the police department. Yeah. So I got out and I joined the police department up in Saginaw, Michigan. And then I uh, didn't like the pay, didn't like the area, didn't like Michigan in general. Cause it was just, like I said, it was just collapsing. So yeah, uh, Michigan, I, Michigan's a rough place. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was funny too, because I didn't intend to go back to Michigan. It was just the first place that hired me as I was separating from the military. So went back and then uh, realized the people that, always were happy to see you when you came home, you know, on vacation and stuff to visit. They don't visit you while you're home, when you're living back home. So I was like, I'm staying here for what? I'm, I, you know, I came back to be close to family, but family doesn't want to make the effort to be close with me. So I was like, I'm going to go live and do wherever I want. Where I want. And it's nothing against family or friends, but when I'm home, it's appreciated a lot more. You know what I mean? So that makes the trips worth it. And then, you know, in the day-to-day -day grind, it's me and my family, my immediate family here. So, so, so how yeah. many years did you do in Michigan? Up there at a total of six years. That's a long time. And then came down to Texas and uh, I've been here 10 years. Okay. But 16 going on 17 all together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, my academy was like eight months long. It was a long academy. <laughs> so down in Texas. Yeah. I won't Eight mention months. my department. No, nope, 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 never uh, mention the department. Yeah. But yeah, down in Texas, I'm in uh, one of the top 15 uh, departments in the nation uh, as far as population and amount of cops and all that stuff. Yeah, me too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, me too. For me, it's 23 years. So I got a little seltzer and uh, cherries. That's what I got. That's my. Okay. There you go. My drink of choice. So I'm trying to sip on it slow so that the frozen cherries also from Costco. Okay. Nice. Yeah. yeah I do the, uh, the black rifle. I get it in October, the headless horseman. It's their black pumpkin coffee. So I want to get those guys. I watched a little bit of their YouTube channel. They had one of the funniest commercials I ever saw. Did I saw you see it. The, you yeah, saw I the saw funny it. one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hashtag Evan Hafer and just about everything I post, just trying to get his attention. I'm like, come on, bro. I'm military. I'm a veteran. You know, you, you probably have a better chance of getting them than me, but I'm working my way up. That's, yeah, that's how I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm not good at networking. I don't have that mindset, bro. bro that's why you got to join our podcast network so that automatically you have eight or not. I don't forgot how many there's in, in the network, but automatically you have that in common that you could reach out to them and be like, hey, we're part of the same network. Can you put me in touch with your guest that you had on, you know, uh, six months ago? 
But do they become like a part owner or anything in your podcast? No, no, so no. It's a hosting thing? It's not even a hosting thing. He would like us to all eventually be on the same hosting network. But all it is, is it's a network of podcasters working towards getting sponsorship. So like once we get, like say he gets a big corporate sponsor, we'll all get money from that sponsor. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like if he explains it to you, I'm going to put him in touch with you. If he explains it to you, he'll be like, it sounds like, why wouldn't I do it? You know? Right. Yeah. I just get nervous about that because I'm like, all right, what if I find a sponsor on my own later on? And then they're like, all right, cut us in. And I'm like, that's not how that works. (laughs) (laughs) I got that one on my own. If I'm doing that for the network, I just just don't understand how that works. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so and I'm an um, LLC. Me too. Me too. What's the name of the LLC? Two Cops, One Donut, LLC. Two Cops, One Donut. Mine's the Hero Coach, LLC. Hmm. Now I see where you were getting that name from. Yeah. So where I'm going to make the majority of my money on the back end is coaching. And okay. the front end is I use the podcast as the best way to network. So like, it's such an easy outreach to say, hey, you're a podcaster. I'm a podcaster too. Let's interview each other. You know, yeah. if it's an interview style podcast, if it's not an interview style podcast, podcasters love talking about their podcast anyway. So yeah. it's a really good way to, to connect with them and to get them on as a guest. So I had my uh, VA make a, a list of all of the cop podcasts. And then the n- amount of names and guests that I could potentially get is so many because like, I could just look at your list of past guests and I could be like, Hey, I had Eric on my show and I saw that you were on his show. My interview would be a little bit different. It would go like this. Uh, would you consider being, it's like such an easy outreach. Yeah. Yeah. What is your podcast? Like what is the, the mission statement basically? It is to give a voice to, uh, I call them frontline heroes. So police officers, uh, medical personnel, military, nurses, firemen, EMS, you know, all of the people that I believe have servant hearts. So all of those careers, they took the job to be of service and also to uh, support their family, you know, generally. That's why I took the job. It wasn't like some childhood dream of mine. I was a, a young father, uh, 19 years old with a son. So I was like, I wanted to support my wife and my family. So by the time I got on the job, we had two kids, two sons. I have three sons total now. How many do you have? You I have two daughters, a 12-year-old and a nine-year-old. Two daughters. Yeah. So yeah. I'm in the I'm stage. <laughs> God bless you, man. God mm-hmm. bless you. I'm in the stage where uh, my boys, my youngest is 21. He just turned 21. Okay. So I'm in the stage where like, I can pretty much do whatever I want. They're living their own lives now. Yeah, um, yeah. Once your youngest hits 16, 17, and she has a car, you know, you're going to be scared, but it's also going to open up so much more time for you. you know? Oh, yeah. Because like, she's just going to be living her life and, you know, you're going to be an afterthought, you know? Yep. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> How old is the youngest again? She's nine. She's nine. All right. So yeah. you got six, seven more years of them, you know, needing daddy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause from my understanding with girls is it's mom becomes the enemy and dad's the favorite. So yep. Yep. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm all right with that. So yeah, I'm excited for them. Yeah, Yo, you know what else I wanted to tell you? I had this thought when I was thinking, I was thinking about you and I was thinking about jujitsu and I was thinking about, you know, law enforcement in general and, I was thinking about, well, first, it upsets me how many people go to the academy. They train for, let's say they train for eight months in your case, physically, right? And then they never, ever, ever do anything physical again. Right. Like, I'm, I'm never running. Yeah. I'm never going to the gym. Like, yeah. that mindset is so absurd they think, to me. Or they think that because they lift weights that they can handle themselves in the street. That's the other one that cracks me up. But yeah. 
It uh, being strong, being strong, it does help a lot. You know, like can if, help. You can, if you can bear hug someone, <laughs> right? Like say you're a 320 pound man and you can bear hug another another man until his bones are cracking. But that we're, talking, we're talking outliers. Uh, yeah. The most of these guys, most of the ones, they're not doing much of anything. They lift two, three times a week, you know, no cardio. They don't have the skill set that they think they have when it comes to an actual fight. So here's the question that I was thinking as I was, I don't know where the thought came from. I can't remember, but I was just thinking you need to be fight ready, not just for the job, but in life. Like, can you protect your family if someone walks through your front door, just say it's your average heroin addict, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, uh, you know, he's a little confused and walks through your front door. Right. Can you protect yourself? And I'm not talking about using your gun that's in a safe or in your uh, top dresser, wherever your gun is kept. It's I'm always, talking about always on me. <laughs> You're like my old partner. And maybe it's a Texas mindset that I've developed, but in my lifetime as a cop, I hear about these home invasions. I see the reports. I'm taking the reports. And it's the same thing. My gun was in the other room. You don't have time. Yeah, it's true. So if I'm mowing the lawn, I have a gun on me. If I am sitting in the living room, I've got a gun on me. I, it's, a, it's definitely a Texas thing because I haven't carried a gun for 20 years. Yeah. 20 years, I leave it at work. My partner says I'm crazy, but like I've always said, live by the sword, buy that, die by the sword, you know? So if someone comes, <laughs> if someone comes with no, guns, at all times, sir. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, every time I had extra money to buy the guns I co- that I wanted always cost around $600. So every time that I had an additional $600 that I could just like spend on a gun, I always wanted to spend it on something else, you know? Okay. Now I want to spend everything on my podcast, so it's a pain in the butt. But I've got enough guns for now. <laughs> I've got enough guns for now. I never. My stopped. my old partner, uh, we worked together for four years on the midnights. He has a room full of guns. Oh, he's got a war room. He's got a war room. He's got a shelf with two bug out bags. Hell yeah. He's got boxes of ammo. I'm like, <laughs> I, I had to yeah. video it because I couldn't believe. He's got uh, two long safes with crazy Russian guns, like, okay. like plastic polymer guns. And like, yeah. like he's got all kinds of guns. <laughs> he's playing it smart. Now I will say the way I carry is it was explained to me a, a long time ago. And uh, it's like making it a habit. So it isn't like to people that don't carry, like they think that's nuts. But to me, it's just like grabbing your keys, your wallet, yep. your knife, yep. you know, if you carry a pocket knife and, I, and a gun, I, I mean, it's just a tool. And how often do I need my pocket knife? Not that often. A lot more than I need my gun, but I'd rather You'd much have rather it have it than, than not need it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and my know, biggest fear is being dressed like this, being in a blue on blue situation mm-hmm. and getting shot because I'm, you know, drawing down on a bad guy. So right. like that's always been my biggest fear of my entire career. So I was just like, I'd rather not put myself in that situation. Yeah. I've always said I'll make an excellent, incredible witness. And you do know? you know why that's a fear? because you have a lack of training in it and your department has a lack of training in it. My department trained like crazy on it. And it's like anything else. Our biggest fears isn't because of anything other than a lack of confidence in it. And the lack of confidence comes from the lack of training. Yeah. And that's how everything works. It's just like you and me. We know 99% of the people we deal with, if we get into any sort of grappling issue, we're fine. It's not even an issue. It's not even a thought. It's actually fun like instead of being and, and 99% i would say 98% want to get away right you know? yeah they're not actually trying to fight you they're not trying to fight you yeah. i remember uh, i was i had 5 months in new york city police academy 
And uh, one of the instructors was like, you will get punched in the face. And right there, when he said that, I was like, no, I will not ever. <laughs> I was like, you can keep that for yourself. You can keep yep. that thought to yourself because I will not get punched. And I never got punched in the face ever. So at the academy, the, my last academy, we do what's called CQST. And so basically you're matched up at the beginning of the, it's the second week of the academy. You're matched up with somebody in the class that's similar size and weight. And then um, you go through a pre-fatigue phase. So you go run, you do a bunch of, what's that, CrossFit type stuff, Metcon, whatever you want to call it. You go and you run around, you get tired, and then you immediately come to a mat. And then you and an instructor, and then your buddy and an instructor. And you slap hands, bump fists. And if I'm an instructor, because this is what I would do, tell them, all right, arrest me. And They've got to try to grapple you and control you. And you know how that goes. So <laughs> that's a three-minute round. And they realize that, you know, they're just a guppy in an area full of sharks. And so once they go through that, then they immediately jump up and they're put into a boxing ring. And they go, and that's when they box against their buddy that's matched up with them. So they do, I think it's a two or three-minute round. And then that's awesome. whoever did the best automatically goes against an instructor. And so the instructor, that goes as long as needed. And then the guy that didn't do as well, he gets a little bit of a rest and then he goes against the instructor. So everybody has to go against the instructor in both of those things. But the point is not just to beat your ass, but it's to show you that you can take a hit and you're not made of glass. You're going to be able to keep going. It gives us a chance as instructors to see your heart, see if this is really what you should be doing, if you just rolled over and gave up. And then again, it's an eye opener for a lot of people. The, the grappling part's the biggest eye opener for them because that was their least concern. When they hear what they're going to have to do, they're nervous about the boxing. And then they go against us on the ground and realize that they're a fish out of water on the ground. Anybody can throw punches around. Lucky guy can connect. You go against somebody that knows what they're doing on the ground, you can't fake your way through that. You can't get lucky against somebody that knows what they're doing on the ground. Yeah, it's true. Uh, one of my instructors, he still remembers me and, you know, gives me a hug every time he sees me from 23 years ago, you know, because I was one of the few that like raised their hand to roll with them after class because I just loved rolling, you know, so yeah. much. Yeah. So, you know, he still remembers me. That is really, really good that you guys do that. Yep. I wish that I can't speak for all departments, but I wish that our department did it. They've gotten away from physical confrontations as much. And, you know, uh, New York is just going in a bad direction. <laughs> it's a disservice to your guys. I would rather you be trained to handle it if it comes your way and try to avoid it as best you can, rather than say, no, we're, we're just not going to train you in that because yeah, it's, it's a, definitely a disservice. Yeah. Yep. And you're not, this is the other part that you know, you're not going to be very trained. <laughs> you're not going to be trained after however many weeks, six weeks, no. eight, eight weeks of a defensive tactics. Right. Now you our, need to continue. Yes. And that's, we train our defensive tactics the entire time, the entire eight months you're doing it the entire, except for when you go to the range, yeah. that's, that's, the range is, it's only, it's the only thing we do that's called block training where it's all together. Everything else you, you get up every morning, show up to the Academy, you do your hour to two hours of defensive tactics, control tactics, whatever you want to call it. And then you go work out or vice versa. You work out and then you go do your control tactics. So, you know, your first two, three hours of the day, you're getting in shape, but you're learning how, how to defend yourself. And when you said, uh, if guys are just going to roll over, you made me think of this huge fat officer that I saw get shot on a car stop. And uh, I don't know if you saw the video. I can't remember if it was Iowa or Illinois. He was as big as a whale. It was like sad. It was sad to watch. There was a lot of lessons from the video that people could learn. He tried to use the tape. It was a woman that shot him too. Did you see that one? I did not see that one. It's like six months ago, but she shoots him and then he just lays down 
<laughs> he's just like, all right, I'm done. I'm out of the fight. He just lays down and he just like lays there. And then he like, he tries to get up on his knees. Like it's sad to watch. I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he survives. He lights up a car. The good guy wins in that scenario. But there's a lot of lessons. You probably don't follow uh, police nutrition or police posts, something like that. Mm-mm. Yeah, because you would have saw that one. I'll send it to you in a little bit. All right. Remind me. What's your craziest story that you can remember? But funniest? I never ask people about the bad moments. I always ask about the funny moments. I've got funny. I've also got, holy cow, that's amazing. Um, right, let, me, let me hear it. Okay. This is the Breaking Bad story. Are you familiar with Breaking Bad? Oh, I love that show. It okay, was incredible. So, the arc, the arc of Walter yeah. White was incredible. So for anybody not familiar with Breaking Bad, and I've told this story on my podcast, I think, um, Breaking Bad, the main character, Walter White, he is a chemistry teacher in high school, finds out he has cancer. And um, and he's soft in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and he decides to start <laughs> meth before he dies to get his family as much money as he can. What's great about the story is it's all very plausible from a law enforcement standard. Like when you look at it, you're like, okay, this is realistic. Like this could happen. There's some Hollywood moments in it, but... For the most part, I think that's what makes that story so compelling. Is this could happen. This the ability for that to come true. So my call, I get a call, I get a telephone call from a valet downtown. I'm a bicycle cop at the time. And he says, hey, Levine, I got, uh, I got a car over here. The dude that got out, he doesn't fit this area. And, you know, I trust this valet. We talk all the time. I work part-times. That's how he's, you know, I always see him. So I was like, okay, what's the deal? He's like, just come over here. You'll see what I mean when you get here. He's like, I think this car stole. I was like, all right. So I get over there run the play, car stolen. He's inside the hotel at the bar. Okay. I'm like, which one is he? He goes, he's at the bar. You can't miss him. He's got tattoos all over. I was like, all right. So call for some backup. I was like, I call my sergeant. Like, Hey, this is the deal. I don't want to give this guy opportunity to get back to his car and run. So I want to just go surprise him at the bar and take him from there. And the sergeant's like, well, you didn't see him driving. Like, sergeant, you got cameras all over here. I was like, the cameras are going to show him exiting the vehicle from the driver's side. He's the only occupant. Da, 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 da. And he's like, oh, okay. I, like, you know, <laughs> I gave him all the answers he needed. So he's like, all right, I'm cool with that. All right. So we go up. We surprise him. He didn't see it coming and uh, took him without any issue. Hey, dude, what's up with the car? And, you know, he's like, um, it's my girlfriend's car. I'm like, all right, likely story. Where's she at? She's in our room upstairs. You guys have a room here? Yeah. And it's an expensive hotel. I'm talking real pricey. So that's what I mean by didn't fit the area. So, you know, he's got some Aryan brother tattoos. He's meeting the meth profile for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he had a smile that meth had gloves. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm like, did you check out the room or did she? And he, I'm hoping like God, he says he did. Because then he can give me consent to go up into the room. He didn't. It was her. So I go up to the room, had some backup with me. She opens the door. Oh, hey, officers, come on in. Oh, shit. Sweet. She just invited us in. Cool. I didn't say anything. We go inside. There's a meth pipe on the dresser. There's a little dope kit right next to that and a scale or two. I didn't see any other things at the time, but the hotel room had two or three rooms to it. Um, it was like the one that has like a kitchen slash, you know, like a sitting area and then your, your room where your beds are. All of those rooms had files all over them, just loaded with papers. So I'm like, what the fuck did I just walk into? What is this? So I put her in cuffs, just to detain her, back out, and call NARC and gang. Because that's the only two units I could think of that would be interested. Tell them what I got. NARC's interested. They want to come out. Okay, cool. So they come out. And uh, he's like, I'm going to get a search warrant. He's like, well, freeze the scene. I'll get a search warrant. I was like, well, she's giving consent. He's like, I don't want her to withdraw it. I was like, all right, smart. So uh, he gets a search warrant. And he, we go in, he's like, all right, you take that room. I'm going to go in here and your partner can go in this room. So 
we go in, we start looking, taking pictures and stuff. And after I take my pictures, I immediately grab some papers. I look and like, oh, identifiers, identifiers, identifiers. It's all like um, social security numbers and people's IDs and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, they're doing some sort of fraud. And then I get to this one piece of paper and it's a bunch of weapons with prices. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm looking at these weapons. Now I'm military and I'm looking at the weapons, 249, M60. Like these are military grade weapons. These aren't, you ain't buying these weapons at the store. And the prices were like a hundred grand, you know, they're just way up there, super high prices. I'm like, all right, so these are full auto. These are military grade weapons. So I bring them to the narc guy and I'm like, hey dude, look at this. And he looks at me and he looks at me. He's like, what the fuck is that? I said, were you military? He's like, no. I was like, these are military weapons. And I start pulling up pictures on my phone. These are the weapons. He's like, holy <laughs> shit. So he's like, I'm going to call our Intel department and get Homeland Security guy here. All right, cool. So we get the Homeland Security guy there. What we end up finding out is that she was running guns and the dark web info for selling credit card information and stuff like that between Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, New Mexico, and I think Louisiana. She was pulling in like 10 grand a week running these guns and this info. And she says she's running it for the cartel. And we're like, uh, that sounds fishy. So the Homeland Security guy's like, all right, you know, show me some proof. And she's like, I will, as long as I get to keep my money. I will give you them. And she's like, I will gift wrap it, basically. She's like, I just want to know I keep the money. And he's like, I don't know about that. He's like, <laughs> she goes, listen, I have stage four pancreatic cancer. I'm not going to be around. She's like, I'm not a criminal. She's like, but I had to make as much money for my kid as I could before I die. Wow. So, so the meth head guy was a friend from high school back in the day. After he got out of prison, she found him on Facebook when she found out she was getting sick and uh, reached out to him like, hey, I, I need to make some quick money. So she got kind of into the dope game a little bit and the fraud stuff. And that networked her all the way over to the cartel stuff. Now, that is a wild story. Right. And that's where I found out Homeland Security can freeze your assets on scene. Didn't know that. And then they have the ability to make those types of deals when the state is the victim. So she gets her phone out and she starts showing pictures. And the Homeland Security guy's checking these pictures, checking the GPS coordinates, stuff, addresses she's typed in. And sure as shit, he's like, every address she's given us is on our radar. And some aren't. Like, some that wow. we didn't know about. So just that was really cool. And now, I'm pretty sure they let her keep the money. I and they know. probably used her as an informant too. Yeah, yeah. Now this happened in like 2016. So she's probably, <laughs> I'm going to say she's no longer with us. But holy shit, you want to talk about the perfect storm for her because she played it perfect. She didn't care if she got caught, but she wasn't trying to be a bad guy. She was just like, if I get caught, I'm going to tell him everything. I don't care. So I was like, that's just crazy. I mean, all that is a great story, Eric. All I love, from a I love it. car from a valet. Yeah, it was not. Car. It was like a 24-hour call too. Because what was cool about the NART guy and the Homeland Security guy is I'm a patrol officer, you know, a bike officer, and I'm subject to call. Normally, how these calls work is once they show up, you get the boot unless yeah. they need somebody yeah. on the perimeter. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I asked them. I said, "Hey, can I kind of stick around with this to learn?" And they were like, "Yeah, you're on." I was like, "Sweet!" So I was a fly on the wall the whole time, just learning, soaking it in, and you know enjoying it from a professional standpoint. So yeah, the investigative side is a whole nother world. Now I know you're a detective now. Yes, sir. That's how long have you been a detective? Two years. Two years. Two years. Yep. I got one more year and I can promote. So uh, uh, what do you promote to? Sergeant. Sergeant. Okay. Yep. And do you have to take an exam, a promotional exam? Yes. Yep. We're civil service where I'm at. So yeah, you got to take a test. Okay. And they're not easy. No test for detectives? Yeah. It's a test every time you want to rank up. 
Oh, okay. Um, it goes officer, then you got to test if you want to become a detective. And then if you want to become a sergeant, then you got to test. And you got to do a minimum amount of time at each rank. So Can they skip over someone if they have some kind of issue? Like, uh... Yeah, if they have some sort of administrative issues going on or whatever, yeah, they can be skipped. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, we have that. The chiefs, that's got to be the chief's call. Yeah, we have something like that too, where they can skip over someone on a list for, uh, I think, without cause for the first, you know, like I think they can skip them twice. And then the, the second time or the third time they have to give them cause, something to that effect. Yeah, it's the same thing for us, pretty much. Yeah, if you get skipped over, say I'm number one and I'm in administrative trouble, they can skip over me and go to number two, but then they have to come back to me and then decide. They're going to skip over me again. They could skip over me again without cause. And then automatically I'm the next person on the list again. And then I think they have to show cause. So, yeah, and most people, they want to promote as long as they don't have those issues. You know, <laughs> if you're getting skipped over, you got some major. major oh, issues. yeah. Yeah. The way our retirement is, you know, it's smarter to promote now. So we have a really good retirement. It's not as bad. It's just prior to like your overtime counted towards your. <laughs> your high yep. uh, three and now it's your high five, but overtime doesn't count. So might as well promote. And I want to promote. I want to be a chief somewhere. So that's cool. Yeah. What made you want to become an officer? It's not any one thing. But what led you in that direction? Was it was the military coming out of the military? No. So my dad's always been a cop. I didn't really care for cops growing up in Flint, but uh, you know, swallow this hole. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, law enforcement wasn't very loved where I was at. And uh my grandfather was a fire captain at the time. He ended up being a fire chief and then uh, had some military members. But the first thing that drew me to it was anytime you'd have a family reunion, that's who everybody surrounded and wanted to talk to. That's where all the respect came from was yeah. those guys and the family, those girls, because I had some female Michigan State uh, troopers in my family. So uh, your family is uh, really in the civil service world. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I want family respect you know i want them to look at me the same it's not an ego thing it's just a you want to be accepted yes. by your family so that was the first draw and then i had a bad experience with cops when i was like 12 or 14 they pulled up we we're playing basketball on the street i had one of the first rollout hoops that you know you ever that never came out and uh you know they didn't have a spring on them or anything well the cops roll up and the ones like throw me the rock and i'm like oh shit they're gonna play ball with us that's awesome and my man stabbed my basketball Wow. And the other dude tipped my basketball hoop over and that broke my hoop. Like and, and, and your heart too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I was pissed, you know? And he's uh -huh. like, we told you to quit playing basketball on the street. I lived on a dead end road. Whoever he talked to, it wasn't us. It wasn't me. So I don't know if he confused us with some kids a few blocks over, whatever it was, but it wasn't us. Either way, I was pissed. I called my dad who lives in Texas and he's a cop. And I'm like, you know, you're cool, dad. I get it. Some of your friends are cool, but police in general, you know, fuck them. <laughs> And uh, he gave me the, you know, you're trying to be the, give the dad speech over the phone. And uh, it didn't sit with me at the time because I was pissed off. But he basically, in a nutshell, said, you know, you can either be a part of the problem or part of the solution. Well, that rang in my head for quite a long time. And then finally triggered, you know, when I was probably about a junior in high school, maybe 10th grade, that I need to start looking at a way to be a part of the solution. Because... A lot of my friends were being part of the problem way earlier than that. And I saw that path and I didn't want that. So I started working in school. Like I wasn't a good student by any I was a social butterfly, as most cops <laughs> tend to be. And I did just enough to pass to play sports. And what was what the sport? I did uh, hockey and baseball. Hockey and baseball. Yeah. So um, I 
started taking classes that were well out of my wheelhouse as far as where I was at in life in school, which was all advanced English classes. My mom had to sign a waiver, basically saying like, look, if he fails, it's on him because he ain't getting the grades to be able to pass these classes. But I knew I was going to be a cop. And I knew I had to be able to write well. I knew if I went to college, I was going to have to be able to write well. So I took all the dummy classes, except for English. I took all advanced English classes. <laughs> and, uh, and then, So yeah, when is your book? In speaking of writing, you just gave yeah. me a thought. When is your book coming out? Oh, I ain't doing no book. Yeah, I don't <laughs> say never. Never say never. My book is my podcast. All right. I mean, you want to know me, you're going you're gonna to get to know it well enough just through, through listening to the podcast. That's all. So yeah, then I'm, as I'm getting older, you know, I tried to go to college and I wasn't ready for that type of freedom and partied my way out of that. So I started working and then going to school like part-time and that wasn't working, couldn't afford it. So I was like, yeah, if I don't do something, I'm not going to hit what I want to hit. And uh, I joined the military. So I was like, if I join them, I can finish school and it's not going to cost me a dime and I can join and become a cop there and get on the job experience while I'm you know, chasing down, trying to become a cop. So that's what I did. Jumped in were the military. Were you an MP? Yep. Security oh, that's forces. Cool. Yep. Uh, that's cool. Still am. That's what that is. <laughs> so I did the security forces, which is military police. So I've got four years of police training there. And then I finished my associates and bachelor's degree while I was in for free. And there wasn't a police department that didn't want me that was hiring. So when I got out. I would like all of my sons to become a cop, especially if they could work in our local county because it's one of the highest paid in, in the country. I tell people, if you're going to do this line of work, it's everywhere. Everybody needs cops. Yep. Go pick the good ones. Go pick the good ones. <laughs> you can do it anywhere. It's like being yeah. a nurse. Why would you want to go be a nurse at a hospital that gets three patients a year? You know? Yeah. You or, or, or the patient ratio, they are out the window and yeah. you have 20 a day, you know, and right. you're running around with your head yeah if you could have a netflix special what would your show be about Ooh, you bastard so many things pick, um, pick your first one okay i got my nerd side and then i got my fun side okay All right, let me so hear I, I gotta give you two so my fun side which still kind of goes under the nerd side but the fun side would be doing my podcast but i go to the people i get to go to them i get paid to travel kind of like anthony bourdain Yep. Doing food. I would talk to cops and first responders all over the world and get their perspective and get their education on what they do. Because everybody, you know, you could be a neighborhood patrol officer in London. It's yep. going to be different than a neighborhood it's patrol officer. It's going to be different yep. in, in Texas. So I would want to go talk to them, find out the do's and don'ts from them. And then it can start giving everybody a more global perspective, more than just a regional perspective, you know, in the US, because how a and a neighborhood patrol officer in New York is, is going to be different than the one down South just because our cultures are different. Yep. And you might be in a, a very rural area or you might be in a very highly populated area. You right. Know? You may be in a highly populated area with poor training. You may be in a highly populated area with really good training. So, and you get to see those differences. And then in turn, citizens that watch it, they'll be able to say, okay, our department needs to adopt what these guys are doing because they're not having the issues we're having or vice versa. So that will improve the relationship between the community and police. And that's the whole goal. So that would be my, that would be awesome. <laughs> I think that, cause I've had such a blast doing my podcast and just. What's your, what's your podcast about? Okay. So my thesis for my criminology degree, basically it was social media was a, we were just starting to get TikTok cops and, you know, like the officer Daniels, officer Mike, donut, the operator, these guys were coming out and they were cops at the time. And 
other cops were trying to do that and they were getting fired. And I saw this big outreach of community support that were pissed off. Like, why are you firing these guys? We want this. This is humanizing these people. I think it was Austin Daniels that came up and coined the term humanizing the badge. And that's his organization now. So, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm about that. That makes sense. And I wasn't going to do it myself, but then I started seeing the writing on the wall around my areas and they're not letting cops get on social media. And I'm like, all right, something's messed up here. If the citizens want us on there and we want to be on there, maybe we should be on there because we ultimately serve the community. So what's the issue? The issue is the red tape. The lack of training. There's no training on it. It's liability issues. There's um, departments don't want to be sued. They don't want to be embarrassed. You know, right. You cannot represent. So if, if there's any officers listening to this, yeah. do not represent your department online anywhere. No. <laughs> represent yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Build your own platform. Represent yourself. Yeah. So you know that, and that was the thesis. Figure out a problem and what's the solution. I, I said social media is a tool to bridge the gap between us, police, and the community. And I said. Uh, Everybody agrees that cops agree we should have it and citizens agree we should have it, but we're not. And then when we do use it, we use it as propaganda. And what I mean by that is, oh, look, here we are petting a puppy, photo op. Oh, here we are fixing a kid's bike, photo op. And who are you winning over? You're not winning over the people you need to win over. All you're doing is placating the people that are already on your side. Yep. That's it. You don't win anybody new. I need to win new people. I need to show the ones that aren't so pro-police. Like, look, we're human. And this is what we're doing. This is us being genuine. So that was the thesis idea. And then I, I let it sit. You know, we're talking 2017. I started deciding, you know, I do want to go for my doctorate eventually. How am I going to solve my thesis? What's the fix? How do I, how do I get around that? And that's where I came up through Joe Rogan, <laughs> uh, the podcast idea. This is my niche. This is what I know. I know that education is the killer of ignorance. And ignorance is the breeding ground for division. So if ignorance is the breeding ground of division, education is the killer of that. How do I educate both sides of the house at the same time to start bridging that gap. Well, I have guys like you on who does the job and you can explain what you do. You know, whether you're a SWAT officer or you're a neighborhood patrol officer, you'll hear me say neighborhood patrol officer a lot because that's one of my favorite positions. Um, uh, so real quick aside, I was in community-oriented police. They called it COPE, community-oriented police okay. enforcement yeah. for uh, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff. You, and and I, rode, I rode the bike also and I did like every parade all across our county. Yeah, I did all of the uh, community meetings. Like I did all yep. of that stuff. So. Town halls and all that stuff. Yeah, because an NPO where I'm at, that's your job. You're the voice between the community and the beat officers and getting their needs met and vice versa. So, but to educate, the way I figured I could educate is I'd have you on. You talk about yourself a little bit. Hey, where are you from? How'd you get into it? Just like we're doing now. And then explain what an NPO is. What is your duties? What do you do? Because for Joe Blow citizen out there, they're not going to know that stuff. They don't talk to cops every day. Oh, NPO, yeah. He's a neighborhood police officer. Yeah. You're okay. So you're an NPO, you're a neighborhood police officer. And yeah, you come to the town hall meetings. Well, what you didn't know is it's not just the town hall meetings. I go to city council meetings. I go to these classes so I can figure out physical security deficiencies to help you guys, you know, get lights fixed and get fences mended and things of that nature. Also at all of the school functions. So the kids are seeing me that it might be in that area. You know, there's just, you didn't realize all the things they do or a SWAT officer. You didn't realize, you know, okay, they're not just robots out there. They got a lot of rules. They got a lot of training. They do a lot of things. So our SWAT guys, they rescue ducks from grates quite often. (laughs) No job too big, no job too small for them. That's right. But um, the idea being now you get a chance through long form discussion because my podcasts go two, three hours, which I know, but the most popular podcast in the world 
is three, three and a half hours long. Jerry, sometimes four, yeah. Sometimes yeah. four. So you can pause it, shut it off, say that that officer's full of shit, whatever you want. But I don't just, it's funny because it, we're very similar in this manner. I didn't want to stop with just cops. I want all frontliners. So I've had prosecutors on, defense attorneys, judges, mayor. I had a mayor on here. I had Jay Novacek from the Dallas Cowboys. That's cool. Here. So I want all facets of criminal justice, basically. And I consider teachers and nurses and all that. They're all frontline too, because a lot of our problems that we have with adult offenders, we see the writing on the wall way early with teachers see that stuff coming down the pipe. So I think it's important to get their perspective, get their educational side. But how do I bridge the gap? I need to educate our side of the house too. So how do you do that? Well, now I start bringing on pillars of the community that may be anti-police, that may be... I just had a guy on, Keenan Taylor. He's a, a DJ. I met him at a wedding, but he's a black Jewish DJ who's faced <laughs> some racism and he needed an outlet and wanted a voice and wanted to talk about it. And we talked about it. We ended up having a four-hour podcast. I had to split it in half. I'm doing a two-part series on that one because it was just so long. But we were How long does it take you to edit that? So three hours is a typical time. That's normal. That's probably my average. Two and a half to three hours. I can get that done in about 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah, now. So when you're editing, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the spaces and the gaps? No. So what I do is I have six cameras, five cameras to deal with, right? Different mm-hmm. angles. So I throw all those in there. My audio is separate because I use the roadcaster. So then I drop my audio in there. Then I got my pictures that, you know, the beginning of the show and my my one sponsor. <laughs> and uh, I play their little commercial and I do my overlays where I've got your logo. I have my logo watermark yep. on there. Yep. And then from there, it's just switching camera angles. Once I get, it's like painting. Once you get all the prep work done, it goes by real quick. What you have to learn how to do though, is edit by audio. Don't edit by watching. Okay. If that makes sense. Cause yeah, yeah. mine is a multi-channel. You'll understand this as a podcaster. So my audio, I have your audio line and I have my audio line. When your audio line is talking, that means the camera needs to be on you. When my audio line is talking, it means they be on me. I don't need to listen to what you're saying when I'm editing. So I'll just fast forward scrub it to you. And then when I'm about to pick up, change camera angle, go to me, change camera. And I just jump all the way through. So it goes by pretty quick. Once you get the, the prep work, you get the hang of it. Yeah. But it took me, I still screw up. I still mess up, but I'm very proficient at it now. When I first did it, it probably took me 26 hours to do one episode. Wow. I called into work the next day because I was up all night. Wow. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You watched my first episode. The audio, when I talk is in the left ear. When my buddy talks, it's in the right ear. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So how did you get your first sponsor? So my first sponsor is a retired sergeant from the department I work at. So he's a close friend of my dad. He was also a security forces member. So we had that in common. So that's how I got him. Now he used your network. Yeah. So, it, but that was, that was easy. That was, there was no effort in that. I don't count that one. I had another one flock. That was going to be my big guy. And uh, it was a legal gray area for them. The company itself wanted me. They loved what I was doing for them, but their legal department got a hold of them and was like, you can't do it. We have a potential conflict of interest. So we got to drop them. And I was like, they didn't want to because I brought a lot of attention to their, their stuff, justifiably so. I still be a big believer in flock cameras. But yeah, I, you know, neither one of us wanted it, but I, they had to go and that sucked for me. But and, um, my one sponsor, he helps out when he can, you know, if I, I think, well, I don't have it on the table anymore. I have a, it looks like a GoPro. It's not a GoPro, but he bought me that. Okay. And yeah, so. That's cool, man. You got one more than I got. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Yeah, I'm, every day I'm always reaching out. I send emails. I will only sponsor stuff that I'm into. And that's my moral ethical line in the sand. I'm not just going to take any old sponsor. That may be hurting me, but at the same time, I'll be able to sleep at night knowing that everything that's in the show, I believe in. So, What's the goal of the podcast? How big do you want it to be? It's more of a result thing. It's more of a result thing. How do you have a measurable result? How do you measure success? How do you know that your podcast is succeeding and winning? Just like I do with police work, the feeling I get when I do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I know I, exactly what you mean. I keep getting like um, episode 23 is my favorite podcast that I've done. Uh, Sergeant Bruce Anderson, he talks about his shooting. I've had other people on here talk about their shootings. How many episodes are you up to? I'm up to 35. Okay, so episode 23. I'll I'll write that little note for myself right now. Yeah, Bruce Anderson. Just like most of my podcasts, it takes a little while to get going into the the meat and potatoes. So that one's about an hour in if you want to fast forward. But I like the buildup because it gives that you get to know the dude. You get to understand, like, you can't fake your personality that long. So yep. then when you get into the story, the buy-in's there. It's like character development in a movie. Yep. And I don't like movies where the character is, like, either done too quickly or just not enough. So I, that's how I treat the podcast. And um, the character development in that episode is the most notable, in my opinion, because he has a legit PTSD moment on the show. You can see him relive it. You see the struggle in his eyes, and you have to watch it. Don't listen to that one. I understand it's hard to sit and watch a YouTube video that long. But if you're going to watch one and listen to the rest, that's the one you watch. So watch that one, see in his eyes, see just all the struggles that he goes through. And um, the point I was trying to make, what makes it worth it, what goals I'm trying to achieve. I've had an officer from Washington, the state, and an officer from D.C. all across the nation reach out to me about that one episode. The one in D.C. said that they showed clips of it in the roll call. And the one in Washington state, he said it gave him the balls to finally get on medication. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's really good. So just off of that feedback alone, like I still have wind in my sails from that and then talking about it, you know, like it just keeps me going. So just like police work, we live for that, that one call that we actually help somebody. So and it's the fillers in between until we get to the next call that we actually get to help a real victim. Yeah, there's a ton of calls that you're not helping anybody. You know? Right, right. <laughs> you're dealing with one suspect to help out another suspect. And, yeah, yeah. You know, that's just the nature of the beast. My old boss used to call that spy versus spy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's like, what do we have here? Spy versus spy? I'm like, yep, spy versus spy. <laughs> yep. So that's how I measure the success. Monetary, if I get money off it, like I, I tell everybody, look, I'm not trying to make money. I just want to break even. I believe in what I'm doing so much. I've invested almost, I'm probably at 10 grand now of my own money. Yeah, most of it in equipment, right? Oh, yeah. Most of it in equipment and then the monthly yeah. fees. The yep. monthly fees is what's starting to bleed me. And yep. I wasn't feeling the pressure at the beginning, but now I am because how long can you sustain that? Like, I have a lot of people that like the show, at least it seems that way. You know, I've, to this date, I've been going six months and I'm at 5,000 downloads for my audio. That's really good. I'm, I'm at 620 subscriptions on YouTube followers overall, my platforms, probably around eight to 10,000. That's um, really, really good. And I know like, you know, the 5,000 that follow me on Facebook are probably the same 5,000 that follow me on Instagram. But if I'm just counting the raw numbers across the board, yeah. So I've got that. And then I started doing the Twitch thing. Did I tell you about that? You mentioned it. You mentioned, I had an idea for Twitch. Dude, you should do the same thing I'm doing. It's fun. I had an idea for Twitch. I'm going to tell you my idea first. Okay. My idea was, I I like to play video games. I used to play a lot more when I was on midnights because we worked four days on, four days off. Yeah. So it was 10 p.m. or 2200 to 0800. Okay. So on my days off, 
I would stay up until two, three in the morning playing oh, video games, duty? whatever it was, just to <laughs> kind of stay in that midnight rhythm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I've always been a big gamer forever. Yeah. And uh, my idea was, I was like, how can I make a million sitting on my couch playing games? <laughs> right. So my idea was, oh, I can stream this. But then I found out there's so many people already streaming games that like, oh man, <laughs> you have no clue. There's I so... really, I really don't have any, any clue because it's always amazed me that uh, there's a whole generation of kids that watch other people playing games <laughs> and don't play the game themselves. They just watch someone else play it. Yeah. yeah. My kids included. That's how I found out what Twitch was. Yeah. So tell me what you do for Twitch. So for Twitch, we have officers out there like Donut Operator, who's awesome. He's one of my favorite guys. Trying to get him on the show. I hope he hears this because he's in San Antonio now. So definitely a drivable uh, experience he could have. Anyway, what a lot of guys do is they break down body cam footage or or whatever footage of a police call. And it's more of a Monday morning quarterback or an explanation. All right. You see all this? This is why he did it. What you don't get, and this was the, the spin I was trying to have on it, is walking through a call as it develops. And what I mean by that is, what is a cop thinking as he's walking up to an apartment door? What's the nature of the call? What, okay, so this lady just told me this. Pause. This is what I'm thinking right now. And I have no prior knowledge. I don't watch the videos prior because I want to have, like I said, as the natural experience, uh, experience as, as that. And the fun part is, every time so far, I've done two video sessions, about an hour each, 100% of the time, I've been right, but almost every time I've taken a different path to get to the same result. And that's kind of the eye opener that I want people to understand is like, look, there's a way, not the way. So we all have the beauty of police work is the ability to get to the same goal with taking our own paths to get there and figuring out the best route. How do I view your Twitch stream? I can send you the link. It's two cops, one donut. It's all spelled out. Um, so just go to Twitch, go to Twitch. But there's two then, T's at the end of it because they wouldn't give me my correct spelling. Gotcha. So two cops, one donut with, with two T's yeah. on Twitch. All right. Okay. That's, the, that's probably going to be the first thing that I've ever watched on Twitch. Yeah. I've never watched anything all the way through on Twitch either, <laughs> um, to be honest. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to hit you with my last five questions, okay? What's your definition of a hero? Ooh. I would say my definition of a hero is a person that just does the right thing as best they can, even when nobody's looking. To me, that's when, a hero. I like it. When uh, stress is at its highest and you, you're about to reach your breaking point, how do you save yourself? How do you show yourself love, self-love? I'm a big believer in emotional intelligence. And I think we all have the ability through practice to control our thoughts. But you have it's like anything else, like working a muscle, changing the way we talk, changing... I've always been a glass half full type guy, but when I didn't recognize the stress within myself, and this is where it goes to the emotional intelligence um, and paying attention, I would get in a negative place and I would take it out on everybody else. And I didn't, I wasn't recognizing that about myself. And then I got into this emotional intelligence stuff and started realizing like, it's nobody else's fault and it's not my fault. I just didn't recognize, I didn't have the tools. I was ignorant about reading my body and understanding that, you know, oh, I'm working midnight shift. I'm not seeing the sunlight as much. Uh, my cortisol levels are up. My diet's poor. I'm not getting to work out as often as I like, you know, I'm at a super high level when I'm at work. When I get home, I crash because my level of vigilance can't maintain. So I start realizing all these things through emotional intelligence and starting to recognize it about myself. And then I start changing my word patterns instead of, you know, I can't believe you didn't take the trash out. Like to my wife, you know, she was standing right by it. Now it's like, she must, have something going on. She blanked. She didn't even see the trash. Honey, is everything all right? 
you know, normally you wouldn't just walk by the trash. It's just, it's simple. And it sounds dumb at first until you start practicing it and you start realizing now for the most part, and, and I'm a product of, you know, just having a bad day, just like anybody else. But like you said, how do I deal with it? How do I recognize it when I'm low, when I'm not thinking positive? As soon as I realize I'm thinking negative, I've trained myself so well now. Why am I thinking negative? What's the deal? Do you need a Snickers bar? Do you need, <laughs> you know, did you start self-assessing right away? All right. Uh, you only got six hours of sleep last night. You didn't get your case in on time. The DA was yelling at you. Okay. You had a kind of a crappy day. It's okay. You can have a bad day. So, cause all your other days are going to be great. And I just, that's what I do. Just try to talk positive to myself. And if I can't talk positive to myself, I'm in a 50, 50 relationship. You know, I get a hold of my partner. Hey, I tell my wife, like, I'm not having a good day. What's going on with me? And well, you did this, this, you know, different perspective from somebody that knows. So I try to lean on her as best I can. She's in nursing school right now. So she don't want me leaning too hard. She's got to lean on me. It's so crazy how much we have in common and our similarities. My girlfriend's a nurse. She's a registered nurse. <laughs> Mine's getting there. She's not there yet, but she's trying. Yeah. You're yeah, left. She, yeah. That's, congratulations. That's awesome, man. Thanks, brother. She is the charge nurse. So she's the boss. Um, nice. Yeah. So she comes home and she bosses me around too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the she, she's going to hear that. I don't know if she'll make it to the end of this episode though. So I don't know if she'll hear that or not. She might. She'd be like, dang, he never goes this long. What's the deal? I got to listen to this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never go this long. This is the longest in all of my episodes. So uh, would you ever consider offering some form of mentoring for law enforcement or military or you know coaching yeah, for those guys? I do it now. You do it now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm always a mentor. I'm a full-time uh, recruiter. I'm a full-time mentor. Whatever people need. I know you have a busy email, plate. You know, email, phone call away. That's it. it uh, if, if people want to find you, how should they contact you? So you can reach out to my two cops, one donut at Yahoo. That's my email. That's all Two cops, out. one donut at Yahoo. Yep. And then um, I posted my link, which you're welcome to share, that drum.io, two cops, one donut thing there in the chat. That is a link to all of my platforms. Okay. So you click that, you get to see every single thing I got available. What is drum.io? It's basically an app I found that creates your own little... It's like a business card, I guess. But it's an interactive business card because it allows you to post your links to everything. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, you can go to my, you can go to my Twitch off of that. You can go to my Facebook page. My, it's kind of like uh, Instagram's version of Linktree. Have you seen Linktree? Yeah, well? yeah, I just heard of Linktree. Yeah, I think it's kind of the same thing. I got this for free and... It does pretty good. I was using something called Dot, D-O-T. Mm -hmm. And um, I just didn't like the interface as much. Actually, I can, if you want to try it out. I liked it because I got a actual business card. And um, with I, that business I, I met someone, I met someone that, that was using that and gave me their uh, Dot card. Yeah, it, it basically you can touch somebody's phone and it gives them yep. a link to see all your stuff. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And it's got the QR thing on there. So yes, yes. Um, but like I said, if you click between the two, I just don't like the format that much with the dot as I do drum and drum yeah, is free. Drum and drum is free. Hey, if it's free, it's yeah. for me. <laughs> exactly. Last, so, last two questions for you. What's your power, your greatest strength? My greatest strength. Or your best ability. I see gaps and stuff that need to be fixed. I, I, I can figure out gaps real quick. It's not something that I've always had. It was a tool developed over time really brought to light by one of my mentors, Buck Wheeler. And now it's just a, it's a natural, it doesn't matter where I go. I'm a detective. The first thing I saw was the gaps in training for just becoming a detective. Like, okay, I get here. You're making another detective that hates his job, train me in a job that he doesn't do well anyway. And there's obvious flaws in the system. There's no checks and balances here. So 
I start keeping a log. All right, it's just natural ability to me. I'm just constantly trying to improve anything that I dive into. So like this damn podcast, I'm, I can't believe I went from nothing. I literally had no editing skills. I, did, I didn't know how to do any of it. So I'm using Adobe Premiere. I, <laughs> you watch my, some of my YouTube ones, you know, some are better than others, but for the layman that's looking at it, like, holy shit, Levine, I can't believe you figured this out. I can't yeah. believe it either. Yeah. So, but I get obsessive about things I'm passionate about. <laughs> that's good. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. Uh, for fun, if you had a comic superpower, what would that superpower be? Ooh, comic superpower. Flying is the easy one. Yeah, and there's nothing that's wrong with easy. being able to fly. <laughs> no, that's the easy one. Okay, I'll give you my top two. My top one would be to have the abilities of Goku from Dragon Ball Z. Okay. Uh, that's my absolute favorite character because he's everything he does is about doing right. And he's got an innocence about it, you yeah. know, kind of a, almost a kid like, which I think is cool. And, um, but if not, it would be uh, it just one, it would be uh, Professor X, the ability to read and control minds and stuff like that. Yeah. So the one power that I want to have is all of the mental capabilities. So if you can read minds, then you can control your own mind and, and make yourself levitate like Magneto. Yeah. And also move objects with your mind. Like how yeah. cool would that be to like not have to get up to get your water bottle, you know, just like bring it over to your hand. You You're know? the ultimate Jedi in a way. Yeah. Because if I'm a big Star Wars nerd, you can see behind me, a Jedi can, one Jedi can levitate. Another Jedi can control things, bring them to us. Another one can read minds, you know, read emotions. So they all have the ability to do all of those things. So the ultimate Jedi would have control of all of them. So, all of those faculties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I try to hope that it wouldn't corrupt me because the reason I think to have that ability is to stop bad things from happening. But absolute power corrupts absolute. So I don't trust myself with those abilities. <laughs> I have to have some kind of check. There has to be some kind of check, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If nobody can stop you, then one thing's going to lead to another, you know, well, I'll just do it this one time. And then that's just going to, it's going to cascade. You got any other projects coming up right now? We are creating, you were talking about mentorship. I am not the designer. I'm not the one that uh, was the think tank on this, but we are creating, we're trying to create a mentorship program for officers. I'm a part of the core group, helping come up with the ideas and stuff like that. But uh, somebody else coordinated, that's a project that I'm on right now. And then, uh, Work-related stuff, I'm still the catalytic converter expert. So people keep reaching out to me about that. <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of that stigma. And then just improving the podcast, man. Trying to get the Twitch thing and the podcast all combined and merged and going and figuring out this LLC because that just got signed off a few days ago. So I got to learn the tax side of that stuff and getting the business side all set up. So Yeah, you just got to have some kind of records. And yep. You got to have like quarterly meetings, you know, with yourself. <laughs> yeah, so I have the EIN. So... I got that set up and the first thing I'm going to do, and when I tell people to raise money, like the only reason I'm going to sell some merchandise is to try to break even on this show. That's it. And I'm going to start doing that through patches and stickers. I got, uh, this is my first piece of merch. It says the oh, hero coach. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If you know a guy that makes patches, let me know. Cause I still haven't found one yet. <laughs> I need a patch guy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to, I don't know if you can see that on the camera, the donut. Yep. Yeah. I'm just going to get, stickers and patches of that yep so and hope it hope people like it i guess put Two stickers on donut put it on your yeah <laughs> yeah it's not what y'all think i didn't come up with that name because of two girls one cup i didn't even realize that until somebody pointed it out um <laughs> i will take you down the logical path i like joe rogan's podcast he's had tom segura and tom segura and burt kreischer 
And they had a podcast called Two Bears, One Cave. And I like their podcast. So I mimicked theirs. I thought theirs was funny because they're two big, burly, hairy dudes. And uh, they share a podcast room together. So I was like, all right, Two Bears, One Cave. I get it. Well, I'll have another cop in here with me typically. So two cops, one donut. And then people are like, oh, two girls, one cup. I get it. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's what I immediately thought also. I, I was know, like, right? It's, it's, it's hilarious. But once you said Two Bears, One Cave, I realized, I'm like, oh, that makes sense too, you know? Yeah. So you know what? It's too late. Now that I know, I still wouldn't change it. I think it's funny either way. So, just hearing Bert Kreiser start to laugh, laugh. Oh you my know, god, that high he, pitch! He, he makes me laugh. He's one of my top. I would say top five. Oh yeah, like, makes me laugh. You know, yeah. he just makes you happy. Yes, and that's why I like him. He just makes you happy. Yeah, the first time I heard him, I seen him do his um the, the Russian machine. Yeah, the other mafia. <laughs> The machine, yeah. and he came out and did that whole piece with his shirt off, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy! He had me like crying, belly yeah. laughing, you know? Yeah. Watch uh, Google Bert Kreischer or Two Bears One Cave uh, Kool Aid. Kool Aid. Okay. Yeah, that may be a five or six minute clip of his episode, but Tom Segura basically is like, you know, what are you drinking today? And he's got a 64 gallon <laughs> jug. And he's like, ah, red Kool Aid, and you just see like. Tom's face, he starts to process what he's drinking. He's like 64 <laughs> ounces, and they just, you got to watch it. I don't want to ruin it. So. All right, so so the one episode that I watched, I don't know if it was their most recent episode, but they're pulling out these sex toys out of a bag. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, my God. That's got to be funny. Uh, oh, my God. What's his co-host name? Tom Segura. Tom Segura. He reaches over, and he grabs them, and then he puts it down, and it's like, you didn't use that, did you? <laughs> I was laughing so hard. His yeah. face, they're just so funny together. Dude, they did uh, competing dance videos. Did you see those? <laughs> no. Okay, so Bert did the first one. They, they did some sort of bet with each other who could dance better. So Bert did the first one and it was choreographed. Like he went and actually did some choreography, you know, getting course, he ends up yeah. being shirtless and whatnot. Yeah. Well, Tom does his video. Bert had no idea that Tom went and did it. So he drops it on him on the podcast. Like, hey, and he's like, remember how you made a dance video? I, I made one too. And he's like, oh my God. So you see it. And in my opinion, Tom Segura whooped his ass. I got to look at that one too. Dance Off? Is it called Dance Off? Uh, yeah, maybe something like Just type in Tom Segura versus Burt Kreischer dancing. Dude, they're great. <laughs> All right, brother. It's been fun. Yes, sir. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.